0: Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to jump straight in here. Uh, I believe God would want to speak to us this morning, but more importantly than that, He would want to visit us this morning. Um, I believe He desires to encounter us. And whatever burden you came in here with this morning, I believe God wants to encounter you in such a way that you leave without it. Amen. And, And so I've been thinking about these last few weeks, we Shared publicly from the platform, many of the prophetic voices in our community um, gathered together to to listen to what God might have say to us as a community for what He wants to do in us in two thousand and nineteen, um, which is just very powerful. I love starting off the year just putting aside moments to listen f- to god 's heart for us, and you know essentially, if I was to summarize what God is saying to us, it would be that he desires to heal us more deeply, bring us to a place of wholeness, reconcile our relationships, basically bring maturity to us in order that we might then give that away to the world, that we might give it towards one another in our community, that we might give it to our city, and ultimately the mission of God to basically bring about an encounter so that those who do not yet know Him would know Him. Amen? And the other thing I've been thinking about is, obviously, the 25-year anniversary um, that we've just been celebrating up in Toronto. We had a 25-year celebratory conference to remind ourselves of what God did in January 20th, 1994. It was absolutely phenomenal. You'll find on YouTube. If you didn't tune in live, you can watch that. It's absolutely incredible. Again, a reminder of everything that God did in us and through us and what he's continued to do for these past 25 years. And alongside that, essentially the global leadership team of this movement um, have been working behind the scenes for approximately two years to get language that would describe and encapsulate what God has done and serve as a platform for what he continues to want to do in the future. And so we had a branding relaunch a few weeks ago, we showed the video, Um, and it's not just a logo change, it's the very language, it's the very, we've contemplated, God, what are you, what have you done and what do you continue to do? And basically we have a statement, Catch the Fire exists so that the world might encounter God's transforming presence. If we were to summarize what God began in January 20th, 1994, and continues to do, now and into the future will be this one statement. God desires to transform us in his presence. And, and so everything that we want to do in 2019, everything that we want to see fulfilled prophetically must be done, nestled into this foundational truth that everything comes in and through an encounter. Amen. And so I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about encountering God's transforming presence. And to do it, I want to go from the life of Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, in my opinion, the greatest, the greatest human being ever to live. Um, and you could you know, you could say, well, what, what are you basing on? What is the measurement? And I can't help but think in terms of influence, the Apostle Paul has influenced and continues to influence more people in the history of humanity. Than any other human being on the planet. You're talking about someone who wrote two thirds of the New Testament, formed the very theological foundation of the faith that we call Christianity, of which there are two billion believers presently in the world today who profess Christ, distributed throughout approximately 40 million churches. That's unbelievable. And on any given Sunday, those 40 million churches probably are preaching a sermon based upon the writings of this one man. The countless essays, the countless sermons, the countless commentaries throughout two millennia, you kind of calculate the influence and the shaping of our minds even today. But the truth is, none of that would have been true unless Paul himself had not had an encounter with the presence of God that transformed him. Amen? And I want to look at that encounter and pull a few principles out that may be relevant for us and then tell a couple of stories. Is that cool? All right. Um, So you'll find this testimony in Acts 9, Luke's writing. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it, essentially. (laughs) Um, It says that Saul, who was a Jew, a Pharisee, was um, he was going throughout the church breathing violence upon Christians, right? And he'd received permission from the high court to run about and persecute and put to death anyone who professed to be part of this faith of Christianity. In his zeal and in his love for God, he felt it was right for him to put an end to and extinguish this movement called Christianity. And he's running about, And he has this heart to go to Damascus. And he's on the road to Damascus on his horse. And the Bible says that all of a sudden, there was a flash of light. And that the Lord began to speak to him. Or it says, he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I'm the Lord Jesus Christ whom you are persecuting. And it says that those who were with him heard the sound, but they did not see anything else. And just a little point there. In a public encounter, it's often the case that those who are observing it are observing something different to what's actually going on on the inside of the one who's having the encounter. They didn't hear the voice. They didn't see the flash of light. All they heard was a sound, but it was so dramatic that it says that Paul lost his sight for three days. And you know the story, right? He gets one of the disciples. Jesus gets one of the disciples and says, you're to go and lay hands on Paul. He's going to be my apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to suffer for my name. And so the story begins. Says he grew more and more in power every single day and went about the synagogues, preaching the gospel and proving the Messiah to the people. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I love this man and I love it. I just, there's something about it that I'm fascinated by his journey. But he's reflecting, and we're going to go there now. We're going to go to Philippians 3. Paul is reflecting on this conversion and what followed shortly after that. And this is what I want to read for you. So Philippians 3, if you want to read along. Sorry. Okay, verse 5. Verse 4. He's basically sharing a message with the church in Philippi. He's speaking about the law. He's speaking about the old Jewish way. He's speaking about circumcision. He's essentially, he's beginning to explain to them that, that our faith now is not dependent upon our own works. And we have no confidence in my ability to do God is requiring us to do that's basically the contest to which he then says because if anybody has a right to boast it's me if anyone has a right to say I can do this the apostle Paul says I have more right than any of you and he says I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church as for righteousness based upon the law I was faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know him, man. I want to know him, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all this, or have already reached my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. such a beautiful piece of scripture. I want to go back and pull a few things out. I believe there's three principles here that we can learn from our own journey as we encounter God. I believe Paul's entire perspective on his past, present, and future changed with that encounter with Jesus. And we know that because he begins to start out by, by bringing up his past, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was faultless in regards to the law. I was persecuting the church. I was zealous. I had all of these things. In other words, my identity rested upon all of these prestigious things, which elevated me to be, a, to be a prominent member of my Jewish society. He's essentially saying, I was the man, and I had everything going for me until. I met Jesus, and when I met Jesus, I began to look back at that which I used to value, and that which I used to build my life upon, and that which I held close to my heart in terms of my identity, and I looked at that, and he says it's worthless. I consider it a loss. All of those things I used to hold of value, everything that was of worth to me, everything that I built my life upon, he says it's garbage. Excrement, manure, feces, that's the Greek. He actually swears. Can you believe it? Scubula, <laughs> I believe, is the Greek word, if you ever want to swear and be holy at the same time. <laughs> he says, everything I built my life upon before Christ is just a stench to my soul. I'm now undergoing a radical reorganization of what I'm going to build my life upon. And it begins by re-looking at my past. And in the same way that Paul had a lot to be proud and boast about his past, I believe the same is true, similar if it's the opposite. And if you sat here and you think, well, actually I have nothing to be proud of in my past. And my upbringing and the family I was born into. And the lifestyle I used to live before Christ and the trauma and the pain and the sin and the brokenness and the dysfunction that I used to live in. Well, the same is true for you also. That in Christ, I have an encounter which now transforms the very way that I look at myself in the past. And whatever life it was positioned me to be worthy of an encounter with God. He goes on to say, I love this. All of that is a loss, everything is garbage, I put it to one side, why? Because I have now a new thing that I'm pursuing. Everything that is now of worth is found in this one statement, that I may know Christ, that I may know him, that it's all about Jesus. Everything that I'm pursuing, everything that I'm striving for, everything that I'm hungering for, everything that I'm longing for, is for Jesus. Everything I'm spending my money on, who I say yes to, who I say no to, every choice that I make on any given day, it's that I may pursue him and know him. And then he says in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, in the glory and in the suffering, in the good and in the bad, in the trial and the persecution, and in the favor and the blessing. He says elsewhere, I've learned to be content, whether I have everything or whether I have nothing. Why? Because his entire value system as he lives in the present has been completely reoriented towards this one thing knowing Jesus, pursuing him, being found in him. It's gorgeous. Verse 12 is great, though. He says, not that I have attained this already. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's my favorite part in the whole thing. Because we have the, great, the greatest man who ever lived, in my opinion, Writer of two thirds of the New Testament wrote the very book that I'm now preaching out of. And he says, I'm longing for this one thing to know Christ. And then he says, But man, I ain't reached it yet. I ain't got there yet. I've set my life to purpose, but I've not reached my goal. And I don't know about you, but for me, it helps me to be kind about myself, helps me to have grace for my shortcomings. Because if Paul hadn't reached it, if Paul never got there, if Paul had struggles, then who are we, right? And so I, I believe, we're to be a lot more kinder with ourselves in our pursuit. Of the good thing that Paul mentions here, we want to know Jesus, and we're on the right track, and we've pointed our life in the right direction. My entire value system is reorientated toward Him, but I gotta have grace on the journey. I'm in process, and God's grace is sufficient. This next verse is pretty awesome too. It's all awesome. It's the Bible. It's amazing. Not that I have already attained all of this or have arrived at my goal. Here it is. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The King James says that I, that I may pursue and apprehend that for which I am apprehended of. ESV says that I, may, that I may make my own the one who made me his own. Okay? And it's like... different translations struggling to interpret this word in the Greek it's katalambano it means to apprehend seize take possession of ambush in this verse he's clearly referencing the encounter on the road to Damascus I was going around my business and all of a sudden I was seized upon I was encountered I was ambushed I was apprehended I was taken hold of. I was taken possession of. And then he says, I want to do the same back to the one who did that to me. That I may apprehend Jesus, the one who apprehended me. That I may take possession of the one who took possession of me. I may take hold of, apprehend. I want to ambush Jesus because he ambushed me. And it's it's this kind of insight into... My whole life is all about this pursuit now. Everything that I do is all about me finding him and him finding me and this going on together and the purposes that he has planned for us. After that, he says, um, you know, I run the race now. I'm pressing, forgetting what is behind, I forge on into the future to take hold of the prize for which Christ has set me heavenward such beautiful, man. This is, this is purpose. God had an encounter, Paul, sorry, Paul had an encounter with the presence of God to the degree that everything in him changed. His past, present, and future was completely, radically undone in the presence of God. In Galatians, he's telling the story again, and he says something like, well, first of all, he says, Um, This message that I preach, it's not of human origin. (laughs) I I didn't learn it from any man. I got it when I encountered Christ Jesus and he revealed it to me in my spirit. Truth. The most valuable things that you can receive in your life is through an encounter. It's not through the encounter with any man. Nor can you learn it. Nor can you read it in a book. Paul's saying the most valuable thing That I have is the revelation of the gospel and I didn't learn it from any man it was not of human origin amen and so we're to pursue an encounter to such a God I want that which is not of human origin I want you to speak to me and I want you to do a work in me that I cannot learn from any man nor is of human origin but I want you to touch me in such a way that everything has changed from this moment forward he then says, many of, you, many, many of you have learned about my previous life, how I was running about persecuting the church. And then it says, but God, that's intervention. I was doing this, but God had a different plan for me. And it says, but God, and this is a statement I want to pull out here, but God, who would set me apart in my mother's womb to be a preacher unto the Gentiles saw it fit to reveal his son in me. And then he goes on to say, now this is the gospel that I preach and now I'm coming to you. But it's that statement. God had set me apart in my mother's womb. When did his purpose begin? It wasn't on the road to Damascus. It was when he was in his mother's womb God had a plan and purpose for the Apostle Paul. He didn't figure that out until God encountered him on the road to Damascus. But the truth is, when we encounter God, we now begin to engage with the very reason that we're on the planet. That God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And it's not just the Apostle who was set aside in his mother's womb. Every single one of us present here and everyone out there, that there's no mistakes that God has set us aside for purpose, for uniqueness. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. When we encounter God's transforming presence, one of the things that is transformed is that we get in touch with our identity to such a degree that now our life's trajectory is set in line with God's original intention for our life. Amen? <clears throat> I want to tell a couple of stories, if that's okay. Um, I, encountered, I had an encounter in the very beginning of my journey. Um, that literally changed everything for me. And so, I really only became a believer when I was 22 years old, and, and I struggled. I had, I had a troubled teenage years, and I had some addiction and some mental illness and some hopelessness, and, and I don't want to go too much into that, but I was really in need of salvation. Let's just say that. And I wasn't really looking for God, but he was looking for me, and um and he intervened in my life to such a degree that, well, here I am today. God rescued me. And, and he set my feet upon a different path. And one of the encounters that I had in the very beginning was I had an encounter with the scriptures that literally changed everything. And I was in church. I'd been in church a few weeks. And this dear old lady had, had given me this Bible one Sunday as a gift. And... Um, I was probably the youngest person in that little church by about 30 years or something. <laughs> it was at this little family church of about 30 or 40 people and all kind of aunties and uncles and mums and dads. And um, I don't have time to go into the story, but God, that was the house that God birthed me into. And so I was basically just surrounded by a bunch of really caring older folks and just they loved me and it was amazing. But there was one Sunday in the very beginning, I was given a gift of, someone giving me my very first Bible. And... I'd taken it home and it was sat on my bedside cabinet for a good couple of weeks. I'd not opened it, and and it just sat there. And I remember this one night, I'm laying in bed and I'm tormented. I'm struggling to sleep, and essentially what's happening is I'm tossing and turning, but I've got all of these thoughts swirling around my head. You're nothing you just you're just a waste of space those those people at that church they don't know who you really are they don't know where you've been if they knew who you really were and what you've done they wouldn't be hugging you on a sunday accusation right but i was unable to discern i thought there was only one voice it's just me i'm just reasoning this out yeah this is i don't think i'm going to go back to that church it's all a load of rubbish anyway i i, I don't think it's real i and they're right, I'm, I, I, I've done too much, I've seen too much, I'm too dirty. I'm not perfect enough to be in church. And I tossed and turned for hours. I now know that was oppression. I now know that there was warfare, I didn't know that at the time. I thought that was just me. And as I'm going through this experience within my mind, I have this other little voice that says, just open the Bible. <laughs> I'm going back. No, 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 that's it comes again, open the Bible. And a third time, open the Bible. And so I have this warfare going on. It's like the classic cartoon with the little devil and the little angel, right? And I'm tormented. I'm going backwards and forwards. And I eventually I yield. And I kind of sit up on my bed and I swing my legs around. And the Bible that's been there for two weeks on my bedside cabinet, I pick it up. And so I pick up the Bible for the very first time in my life. And I think to myself, where do I do I start at the beginning or what? Anyway, I open the scriptures. I just open it right in the middle. And I begin to read what my eyes fall upon, and it's this. It's Zechariah three verse Zechariah three verse one. It says, And there before me I saw Joshua, the high priest of nun, standing in the presence of the Lord, with Satan accusing him by his right side. And the Lord said, I rebuke you, Satan. The Lord of Israel rebukes you. Is this man not a burning stick snatched from the fire? And already I'm thinking, this this is weird. (laughs) It's like the theater of my mind is now being played out upon this book. That I've never opened before. And then it continues. The Lord says, Now the Lord summoned angels to bring new garments. And the angels took off the filthy garments of Joshua and they placed a new robe of righteousness upon him and they put a turban around his head. And I'm, re- I'm reading it. And it's like, This is me. This is me. This is, this is the theater of my mind now been played out in this book. And I'm sat here. And it was literally as if the presence of God himself was there saying, I rebuke you, Satan. Is, is Michael not a burning stick snatched from the fire? That's identity. I was destined for destruction, and the Lord reached down and rescued me. And then it says, and then the Lord said to Joshua, if you walk in my ways and obey my decree, you'll have a place amongst those standing here, and you will govern my house. And when I read those words, I I wasn't just reading a book anymore. This was God, the Lord Jesus Christ, hanging the conversation with me. And I knew that was my calling right there. And I didn't know what it meant. But I wasn't reading it with my mind anymore. I was engaging it with my spirit. And the Lord was saying, Michael, I have a plan for you. If you walk in my ways, I will lead you into your future. And a calling to govern my house. There's something about engaging God in the Scriptures that changed everything for me from then on. And, and I felt I was to, I don't know, encourage us again that, you know, there's many ways to encounter God in the worship, in prayer, through the laying on of hands, through the preaching, through the small group, in every, every possible different way. God's going to use whatever. He may not knock you off your horse. But he desires to encounter us in so many ways. But often we can disqualify ourselves from an encounter because we're not one of those who feels anything in manifestations and I'm not quite sure how we feel about that. But what I've realized is that you can always encounter God in the Scriptures. You can always encounter him in the Scriptures. Why? Because the Bible says of itself that it's living and active. It's sharper than a two edged sword. Able to divide spirit and soul, joints and marrow. To read the intents of the heart, it says. The scriptures of life. And that's what I experienced right in that beginning, the first time I opened it. I opened it and I experienced it to be living and active. And it judged the intents of my heart. And I had a transformative experience which led me into my future. And, guys, I want to encourage us all. Let us, let us pursue God in the Scriptures. Let us, let us fall in love with the Word of God again. I'm speaking to myself more than anyone. Um, I actually, I, I have a Bible here. And this is a carbon copy of a Bible which I recently lost. I moved home about 18 months ago, and in the transition, I lost my Bible. And... Um, and, f- and for me, it's like, it was almost like losing part of my journey. I had that thing for about 12 years. And it's highlighted and it's referenced. And there's dates on there. And there's multiple dates on the same scripture. And I'd only put a date on there or a scripture there where God himself had met me in it. When I wasn't just reading a book. But when the book was reading me. And throughout the Psalms and throughout the Proverbs and especially the Psalms. And the New Testament, as he began to just speak with me and meet with me, I just I discovered that it's not just a book, but it's living and active. And I didn't used to read it so that I might get a good sermon. And I didn't used to read it so that I might impress someone with biblical knowledge. I read it because I was in desperate need of refreshing. And every single time I went there, it became life to my soul. And as we dig down deep in the scriptures, they become a cistern of living water. So I lost this bike. I lost this thing. And I can tell you, it's the exact same bar I bought the exact same one. But obviously, it's not the same, right? Because it doesn't carry the history that I engaged with in this one that I had before. I want to tell another story. I hadn't planned on telling this story. I was going to end on the story I just told you. But I have another story. i had been thinking about all week whether to share the story or not. And, and I decided I wasn't, and I was just going to go with the Zechariah 3 thing, until I came to worship this morning, and they sang a song called In the Presence of Angels by Roy Fields. That's the second song we sang, and if you don't know that song, it's the song that was the anthem of an outpouring in Lakeland, Florida in 2008, and I was there in 2008. And I had an encounter in Lakeland, Florida, that I was going to talk about, but then I decided not to. And then I come to church, and it's on the set list. And I've not heard that song in 10 years, and I'm sure we've never sang it here before. So I'm like, all right, God, do you want me to share that story? <laughs> um, 2008, I'm in a church in England, a great church I've been a part of for about 10 years. And... It would what what I would describe as a a seeker-sensitive type church, an attractional church, uh, a church which believed in the Holy Spirit but not not in the same degree that we do in terms of pursuing and and engaging with the gifts and signs and wonders and prophecy and all of that kind of stuff. And I remember in the spring of 2008, this outpouring began in Lakeland, Florida, with an evangelist by the name of Todd Bentley, and it was broadcast live on TV in the UK through a channel called God TV. And I found myself watching it one day and I was just completely fascinated. And it was really, it was, God was using it to speak to me in terms of what I'd been thinking for some time and that was, God, I know there's more. That I love church and I love you and I'm going along, but I know there's, there's a depth in the spirit, and there's there's just just something else that I'm missing, and I'm hungry for it. And they're having these five-hour meetings, and we're five hours ahead in the UK, so I'm like sat there at two or three in the morning, just like transfixed, watching all of this stuff, and he's calling out words of knowledge, and people getting healed, and flying across the platform, and all of the stuff that we're used to, right? But it was brand new to me, And I remember sitting there thinking, I don't know if this is real, but I can't tear my eyes away from it. And so cognitively, I was like trying to rationalize, and this is not for me, but my spirit was saying, this is exactly for you. And then at one point, you know, they do the thing, if you're at home watching on TV, touch the TV set. You know, I'm sat there by myself and I still check, you know, (laughs) just make sure no one's watching here. Kind of kneel forward to touch the TV and feel like, I'm feeling stuff, and then my rational mind kicks, in. no, 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 no! it's just, like you're just making stuff up, it's like, it's not, re- well, in church on a Sunday morning, there was like an announcement made, it wasn't an announcement, it was more like, oh yeah, and this thing in Lakeland, and we don't believe that you can, you need to go anywhere, you don't need to go anywhere to get a, to get an encounter, you don't need to go anywhere to meet God, he's everywhere, and he's here, and everything's great, and you don't need to be running off, flying all over the world to catch the presence of God. And, um, and I heard that and I thought to myself, yeah, I'm going to get on a plane and go. <laughs> I'm going to do the exact opposite, which you've just recommended. Because I can't stop thinking about this thing. So I went and spent a month in the revival in Lakeland. And uh, I was just by myself. And I stayed in the car that I hired and I would stayed on the beach and all this kind of stuff, just to be in, just to be in the meetings. And I'll be telling you, honestly, it was like, at first it was tough, because the worship would be like three hours long. And I'm used to like 17 minutes on the clock, you know, like <laughs> 20 minutes of preaching, boom. And then it's like coffee time and home. And um, it's like three hours of worship, and then two hours of words of knowledge. And it's like, it's crazy. And I was fatigued, and I was tired, but I'm hungry. And, and I'm there for like two or three weeks, and and I'm growing a little bit kind of like, oh, God, I, I, really want, I really want to meet you. And I'd heard about stuff that happened in this place called Toronto, but I didn't know really anything about it. But I know God did something. And people flew from all over the world. And that's what I was thinking. I'm like, God, if you're doing something, I, I don't want to miss out. I'm hungry for that which you want to do in us. And I'm here, and I'm getting tired, and I'm getting a little bit weary, and I'm saying, God, I, there's a little bit of disappointment. i, I I don't know what I'm even after, but I know I want something. And it's this one night, again, tired. I was right at the back. I kind, of, I kind of resigned that nothing was going to happen, and I picked up my rucksack, and I'm kind of walking out there all dejected, you know. And one of the stewards comes over, and he kind of catches my attention. He says, oh, excuse me, sir, are you by yourself? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, we have some single seats available right down at the front if you'd, if you'd like a seat, and I'm thinking, all right, I suppose I could give it like 30 more minutes or whatever. So I get led all the way down the aisle. It's like an arena. It's like 17,000 people or And I get all the, all the way down the aisle, and I get placed on the second row, right at the very end on the right-hand side. And I'm kind of sat there. And uh, within about 30 seconds, Todd Bentley gets up and he says, he said, I want all the British people to come down to the front. I'm thinking this is a setup. What the heck is that? <laughs> that guy who got me from the back—he somehow knew—and now I'm down here. But he's called forward all the British folks. So I'm like, "All right, this is cool. I'm right here." So I kind of just like mosey on down, and I get to the front. I put my hands on the railing, and and then I look around, and there's like all of these, like hundreds of British folks coming down from the rafters, you know, to make their way to the front. And I'm kind of stood there, and then all of a sudden, there's like two or three hundred people. All across, this, all across the front and I'm kind of stood there and then Todd gets this English pastor up and he lays hands on him and then he says, now you need to go and lay hands on all of the folks from England and I'm literally the first one there I think it's on YouTube somewhere <laughs> and I'm the first one he comes to right on that right hand side and I close my eyes and he puts his hand on my head and he's like, he starts shaking my head you know <laughs> and so I'm like white knuckling it I've got my feet set I'm holding on to the fence, and I'm like, I'm stiffening my neck, so I'm like, this guy, I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going down, I'm not going down, and uh, so he obviously gets a little bit fatigued of that, does this thing, oh, fire, fire, and then moves on, right, so I'm just kind of like, what the heck was that, and I've got my eyes closed, and I just hear all of this commotion. Like going on and I kind of, eventually I kind of opened my eye, you know, to look. And there's just like 200 people just in a big pile all across the front. Shaking and laughing and screaming and everything going on. And I, I suddenly realize I'm the only one standing up. And so I kind of closed my eyes again and I'm like, everyone's looking at me. There's like 15,000 people looking at that guy at the front. What's wrong with him? Why is every... And you know, and then I had this thought, I'll just go down. I'll just, I'll just go down and I'll just join in with all of the commotion and no one will know because everyone clearly knows there's something wrong with me because I'm the only one here and I'm having this little monologue with myself and then all of a sudden, someone jabs me in the chest with like firm, like with two fingers kind of jabs me in the chest to the point I'm startling and I kind of open my eyes. I'm like, what the heck? And there's no one in front of me. And I look up. I'm there. Bob Jones is stood about here and he's doing this. <laughs> and he's shaking his hand at me. And in my rational mind, I'm thinking, there's no way he could have gotten over here first of all, the gap between the stage and the, the, he couldn't even reach over, never mind, he's an old man, he could never have gotten over, jabbed me and gotten all the way. There's no way this could have been, but I was just like, God, I I don't know what that was, but if that's you, I receive it. I just say yes to it, whatever it is, and I kind of made a decision just to kneel down didn't fall over, it wasn't God, I just, I made a conscious decision to kneel and posture myself and say, God, if that's you, I say yes. Whatever it is, I don't understand it, I don't know what it means, but I think this is a view, this is not natural, and I just want whatever it is that you have for me. And then I stood up, and as I stood up, that's when the power started flowing up and down through my whole body. Like power, had never, I'd never experienced anything like this. I still, I, strug- I struggled to put in the language what I was experiencing, and it's not happened since. But the first thing I became aware of was that I literally felt like I was 30 feet tall. I felt like I was aware of the, of the limitations of my physical body but there was something else going on the inside of me that I felt like a giant. I've thought about it often. This is the statement I can come up with. I was baptized into the supremacy of Christ. The all-conquering, supreme creator of the universe. It was as if he stood up on the inside of me and nothing could stop me. That's what it felt like. And I had this laser focus and I'm looking around the room and I'm like, what is this? And then I thought, then I had this thought, bring me the dead. That's literally what I thought. It was as if faith was an assumption. And what God desired to do, it didn't require it to pass through my own consciousness. That it was just, this is is the gospel. And this is the power of God. And nothing can stand in its way. And I remember thinking, this is what the apostles must have felt like when they were walking by and their, their shadows were healing folks and they were, just, they were just telling people to get up. It's like there seems to be no evidence in the life of Jesus. There seems to be no evidence that they had this kind of faith struggle. There was a complete absence of the fear of man. It was just this assumption that God is going to do what he's commanded us to do. And I remember walking back to my seat all kind of like, what do I do now? And when people coming down and just falling out and flipping out and just if they just brushed my shoulder, it was just, everyone was just getting, it was getting crazy. And the entire thing lasted, that whole sensation, I, I, I remember I left the meeting, I drove to my friend in Fort Myers, and I'm just, this this thing, just this reality shift. And I remember having a, I saw an image in my mind of a computer screen shutting down, like boom, and then rebooting. I remember God saying, I've given you I've given you a new operating system. It's an operating system about the kingdom of God. And and it was and then he said this. And I've given you an anointing that's on timed release. I didn't know what any of this meant. Honestly, I didn't I just I felt this is what he said and I wrote it down and I just began to consider it as I got back home. And it was really funny because remember the church, we don't believe in going on planes to go places. So now I'm like, I'm in my church again and folks are coming up on the secret, you know, like, you went to that thing? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, can I have some? You know? <laughs> and it happened to such a degree that we, I remember me and Ashley got married shortly after that and we started meetings. I felt God to say, you to start meetings and that which I deposited in you is now going to be released. And we began to have meetings in a friend's house and it just, it just blew up. And God was doing... God was doing Toronto things, and we didn't know it was Toronto things, and He began to teach us how to be led by the Spirit, and how to operate in the Spirit, and how to prophesy, and it was just totally phenomenal, and ultimately, it was, it was those meetings that led us to be connected with the river, and Bill Johnson, and Heidi, and Toronto, and all the rest of it, and we began to listen to those guys, and become absorbed in that material to the degree that me and Ashling went to Mozambique in 2012. And it was in Mozambique that we met Duncan and Kate. And as a result of meeting Duncan and Kate, well, here we are. And so I had an encounter with God that literally reoriented my entire future. And through a sequence of events and me following after him, he's led us into, here we are. And. And I think my question this morning is, is there anyone hungry for an encounter? And if I could have the team up, we're gonna I felt we just I just gotta sing that song again. I mean, it's like, God, there's no way that we'd be singing this song ten years later, with me having thought about telling that story. And I just wanna I wanna invite us all to stand. Um I believe, God would, I believe God would say to us, I desire to encounter you with my presence that would literally transform your past, present, and future. That in these moments, that you would leave this building in a different way that you arrived in the building. And it's my experience that every encounter serves as an anchor that prevents us from slipping back into an inferior reality in him and serves as something that pulls us forward into our future. He desires to give us a new reference point of what is available in him. So as we wait for the band, I, I mean, I want to invite you forward if that's what you want. Come on down, posture yourselves in whatever way you feel fit and led and just, let's just spend a few moments saying, God, I'm hungry. I want you to, I want you to rekindle the fire for a hunger, for a new encounter. God, we want to be transformed in your presence because we owe the world an encounter. That we've, we sold the world a shoddy religion for so long and we've asked them to pay a high price. And all it's done is burden them. But God, we want to represent you fully to the world. That we carry a message of reconciliation. That we are, each and every single one of us, God's ambassadors. Whom he desires to make his appeal through to the world. Man, that's powerful. That's 2 Corinthians 5.20. God wants to make his appeal to the world through me and you. And so God, we posture ourselves that we might be vessels of honor, prepared for good works in Christ Jesus. And God, we're saying we're hungry. We're hungry for more. We're hungry for a new reference point. Jesus.